I turned up to to Glen Swilly and down in Donegal there, and <laughs> I, I thought Wales Wales has bad weather. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. I was free. I've never been so cold in all my life. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. Hello and welcome along to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe Together with Guinness. I'm Emer Constein and I'm here as always with Ian Madigan. We've got a great show coming up for you all today. This Friday sees the Autumn Nations Cup kick off with Ireland taking on Wales in the Aviva Stadium in the Guinness Series. We're going to take a look at that game and the tournament in the company of Wales legend Shane Williams. Ian, you are rocking a new lockdown haircut since the last time I saw you. <laughs> yeah, Anna's finest work. Um, obviously, all the barbers are closed here, so I had to make do. And yeah, she gave me a little one step, which I'm delighted with. Especially from Monday Night Lights, I saw it on the TV. Um, a big weekend of sport. I'm sure we were all busy watching between the rugby, between the GA, everything. There was a lot of games. Did you did you happen to see any of those games of the weekend? Yeah, it was a great weekend of sport. Uh, delighted to see the Australians get one up on New Zealand. Um, I think you know Australia being strong and rugby is really important. And I thought they they put together a great performance and some really good young guys coming through for them. Obviously in the GAA, um, big surprise with Cork getting one up on Kerry, which I'm sure the majority of people in Ireland were happy to see. Um, and then the dubs kind of rolling on again against Westmead. The plucky enough Westmead side, actually, which was um, a good game. But um, yeah, I suppose for you, uh, Emer, obviously you would have played a lot of GAA growing up. Did, did you find playing GAA helped you then when, when you're kind of more focused on rugby going forward? Yeah, it absolutely did. And there's a lot of girls, I suppose, with women's rugby in Ireland, there isn't, there wasn't, I suppose, in the past, the underage structures for us to be able to start at a young age. So we depended on other sports. And the majority of the girls on our team, if you do look at them and look across both the sevens and fifteens teams, like when I first started off with rugby, the majority of those girls were from, I suppose, Gaelic games, be it Camogie, be it football. And I was lucky enough to have played both at inter-county level up until I was 23 and then came into rugby. So yeah, it was the perfect platform for, you know, like as, um, you know, people know the the physical attributes that Gaelic footballers have. And I think it's really important and there's such a crossover with both Gaelic football. And like, even we saw it at the weekend with Marquine in the, in the court game, like the, he's obviously an AFL footballer at the moment over in Australia and his athleticism from Gaelic, like he slotted into AFL. So it's not just, you know, us being able to slot into rugby as Gaelic footballers, you know, it's crossover with so many sports and it's such a professional level from, even as an amateur game, it is still professional essentially in the way that they train and in the way that they, they recover in that essentially. So um, I, even I see it in my sister. My sister Ailish plays over in Australia with the Adelaide Crows. So she's fully professional over there and is hoping to go back in the next few weeks. And what, there's 15 or 16 other Irish girls. So they're they're ready-made athletes, I suppose. And I suppose more so in the female game, we'd see it. But you would have started up with Gaelic football and other lots of other sports underage as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, GAA, like playing football would have been my main sport through you know primary school. And it was only really when I went to Black Rock that rugby kind of took over then. But... The, the skills I picked up from Gaelic football 100% stood to me, you know, even just the basics of, you know, how you shape, making it look like you're kicking one way and then you're hooking it over your shoulder, kicking it another way. It's the same way that I try and manipulate the backfield um, when I'm playing rugby. And um, I think those one-on-one duels that you have with your with your marker in, in Gaelic football or hurling, but it, just that competitiveness really stands to you. Um and it's similar for me when you're coming up against an, another out half. You're you're trying to outskill them and outthink them, and th- th- that's such a large part of what Gaelic football is. Um, you know, are there any other sports that you felt had kind of big contribution factors into? You know, yeah, like I I think I grew up in news or group player. Yeah, I grew up in West Clare, and I think we were just thrown into everything, which was good. You know, I think athletics is a really good one just to develop those fundamentals. And I think as a PE teacher, I see how important those fundamentals are, you know, you're running, catching, throwing, and then they just contribute into so many, or not, you know, contribute into so many different sports and especially rugby. But I suppose the main one was my Gaelic football ability. And I suppose as a 15 or as a winger, it's those aerial skills, like you were saying, and the ability to read a game. I think very often in Camogie football, they play like a sweeper system, which prepares you almost for 
that 15 or that winger, that back three system, depending on what defensive system you play. But as a sweeper, sweeper in Gaelic football or Camogie, you have to be able to read where the ball is going to go um, before it even gets there and read where it's going to be. And I think, you know, those are things that you can't learn. Like you can teach people how to pack, to pass and to catch and to tackle. And I think they were the easy things about um, rugby when I started was the actual fundamental skills because I had come, I was athletic, I was sporty, I had played different sports growing up. But the hardest part was actually reading and understanding the game. But I think the crossover from, from Gaelic football and camogie did actually help me in that way as well. Did you play any other sports growing up? Yeah, pr- probably tennis is probably the other big one I played up to probably the, about the age of 12. Um, and even that... So you could like, have made you know, it. You could have made it in Wimbledon instead of uh, the Aviva <laughs> Stadium. No, I was a bit of a hacker. but <laughs> I love playing tennis. I love the kind of one-on-one battle of it. And um, my mum was the one who taught me and my brother Dave and, and our younger sister Lou um, how to play. And, you know, it, it was basic stuff like, because it's a one-on-one duel, like your body language and, and what you're giving off to the, to your opponent is, is such an important thing. And, you know, I definitely carried that across into team sports, whether it's Gaelic football or rugby, that, you know, you're always trying to give off the, the impression that you're, you know, you're in control, whereas internally you mightn't be. Um, and then it, even, I suppose, figuring out your opponent is such a big part of it. You know, in, in, in tennis, you could go one set down, but if within that one set that you've lost, you've figured out your opponent's weakness, whether it's a weak backhand or they're poor at the net, then you're just going to go after it, go after it. And then suddenly you can turn the game around. And I've, I found in my rugby career, that's something that has been very prevalent for me. You know, I try and figure out, okay, well, that winger is not good in the air. Let's keep putting it up on him or let's put it in behind him. He's not, he doesn't have a good kicking game or early on in a match, you feel, look, these guys are, they're a bit soft up front. Let's just keep going through the pack. Um, you know, I think that that kind of mental process that I would have I would have had as a, a nine or ten year old on the tennis court trying to figure out my opponent's weaknesses is something that I'm you know doing now as a twenty nine year old on the rugby pitch. Exactly, and speaking of that athletic ability and that reading of the game, we saw some of that. Um, yes, last night Monday night lights in your game against Glasgow. Um, a good win for Ulster last night. Um, how are you enjoying playing? On Monday nights, I know myself as a spectator, I'm loving Monday night rugby because it's just something to do on a bleak Monday evening in November. It's great for us. But as a player, obviously great to get the win. But how is it? How is it playing on Monday nights? Yeah, it's it's taken a bit of adjusting. Um, you know, used to, you know, Friday or Saturday night games where you, you're getting the, the big body of work done on a kind of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then the tail end of the week, you're kind of gearing up for the game. Whereas... For us now, the, the big sessions are done on Thursday and Friday. Saturday's off, but it doesn't really feel like a Saturday off because you're thinking about the game coming up on Monday, then our captain's runs on the Sunday. So what what we've kind of found as a group is we're all losing track of the days. Like even Dwayne Peel was in giving the pre-match talk and he completely muddled himself on what day the game was even on. Um but no, you, you, you get used to it. Um, what's handy is we've got four Monday games in a row. What would have been a bit frustrating would have been if it was Monday back to a Friday game or a Saturday game. You don't kind of get any flow or any routine. Um, but no, it's good. Like with the scheduling we have here, you kind of get a, a clear plan of when the hard work's going to be done, when you're going to get your recovery in. Um, so no, it's been working well so far. And it's good that there's rugby on TV most nights. I know it is. It's great to watch, I suppose. What you're saying there about the clear plan and planning for the season, I suppose, unlucky for Connacht and Munster this week, they weren't, things didn't go to plan for them in relation to COVID. So both their games were cancelled. So Munster were due to play Benetton, but they had um, three positive and four close contacts. And similarly, Connacht's second game in a row getting cancelled like that. When you do have a season plan and you are so scheduled and, you know, you taper off your training because it's match weekend, it must be frustrating for those players. Now, Connacht going into their next game, not having played two games in a row while everyone else does get the benefit of having all that game practice. Yeah, no, it is. It's very disruptive. Um, and I think it's the nature of it as well. So like th- this week with the game called off, they probably only found out about it midway through the week. If it wasn't this week, then even for the game last week, it was probably Thursday or Friday that they found out, look, this game's not going to go ahead. They've still done a full training week. And then that means that you're not getting any time off. And then when there is scheduled time off, and let's say a week off in December, they're going to have a refixtured uh, schedule, which they're going to have to fit the match in. Um, 
and you could end up going, you know, 15, 16, 20 weeks in a row where you're training every week, preparing for a game. Now, whether you play a game or not on that given weekend, you've still prepared mentally and physically. And I think over the course of a season, that takes its toll. So, um, you know, it is it is definitely a, a tough hurdle for them to get over, but um, I'm sure they'll find a way. Is there room in the schedule for those postponed games? Like, have they purposely left it because of COVID or were they just weekend off for international games? Or is there is there room or is it a pretty jam-packed schedule? Yeah, I, I do think there is there is room. Uh, there's definitely a week off in December. I know that. So that would fit in one of the games. And I don't know how, how they're going to work out the other one. They might have to go, um, you know, three games in 12 days or 10 days and, and try and fit it in that way. I'm, I'm not too sure, but... Um, it's certainly not ideal for them. No, it absolutely isn't. But um, going back to the Guinness Pro 14 again, um, two wins then out of the other two Munster provinces. So obviously Ulster got a great win on Monday night. Um, you know, it was messy. I think the conditions were bad. I think we saw over in Edinburgh as well, really bad conditions last night. But um, a lot of try scores, some good, some really good things. And you ended up helping for um, and assisting for one of those tries as well last night. Yeah, no, it was a good win for us. Um, you know, it's our fifth win in a row uh, and a bonus point win. You know, we're trying to keep up with Leinster who are blazing a trail. I think they've got a bonus point in every one of their games and are on 25 points. We were maybe a couple of points behind them on, on 23, but we're happy with how, how we're going. Um, I think we're kind of finding good balance in our game between going through teams and, and going around them. So we're looking to keep that win streak going. Um I thought Mike Larry was excellent. Yeah, yeah. really good Mike performance. I thought he was excellent. Yeah. He yeah. just pops up everywhere and he's so agile and impossible to defend. Like you hate to come up against someone like him because you have to deal with him in training as well. But we really played well <laughs> last night. Yeah, Mike's quality. You know, he's got, obviously he's just one of the smaller guys and he's got fantastic footwork and he's um, one of those guys who you've got to be really careful now about putting a high tackle in on. Um, and he actually got he actually got a high tackle on him last night, and the, I thought the guy was quite lucky not to get yellow carded. Um, you know, he was great for us. I thought John Cooney was brilliant again. You know, his ability to read a game, um, just probing around the side of malls and just eyes up. You know, he got another try, just quick quick thinking off the back of a, a, a rook. And then in the pack, you know, Marcel was brilliant for us again. Sean Reedy picking up another man of the match. Um, so no, look, it was a good performance for us, and I think we're going away now to Zebra on Monday, which they've actually you know found a bit of form. They possibly could have beaten Scarlets at the weekend, so you know playing them away from home is always a tricky fixture. So we'll be ready for that. Um, and then I think yeah, it was a good win for good win for Leinster away to Ospreys. It's you know a tricky fixture, and um, I'm sure you're impressed with some of the Leinster back three there. Yeah, they were excellent. Um, really, really good. Jimmy O'Brien was excellent at fullback. He he made some great cover tackles there at the end. And Dave Kearney, of course, getting, um, you know, always really solid and and always will pick up a try or two. I don't think Rob is very happy with the amount of tries he has scored at the moment. <laughs> I think he said something on Twitter like, "Stop the count." Um, he's he's overtaken his try tally. Not quite sure what yeah. exactly it is, but yeah, look, Dave Kearney is always good for one or two tries um a game. And look, they're going to have to start sharing out those player of the games between Sean Reed between Reese Roduck um, and down in Munster, Craig Casey, they're, they're, they're not sharing out those player of the game awards and another man of the match performance for Reese Roduck again in the back row. Yeah, I thought Reese had a cracking game. Um, he's looking really fit at the moment. Obviously, you know, one or two niggling injuries last year, which he looks like he's on top of. And he's just, you know, a really tough guy to stop. Like he was running over the Ospreys guys with, um, with not, you know, over and over again, really. And, I think we're seeing the strength that he offers in the wide channels for Leinster as well. They're getting him out, getting him quality ball. His ability to ball play is um, a real strength of his game. And, you know, it looks like he's going to be on for, for a huge season with, with Leinster and, and hopefully he'll push for, for honours with Ireland. Yeah, he's someone that you, he seems to hang out in the wide channels. Obviously, it's happening from set piece and he's meant to be there, but... God, as as a back three, he's not someone you want to see running down your channel, but he seems to always find a mismatch in players and like his strength just dominates them. And he's always good for 10, 15, 20 metres as a result and picking up man of the match awards deservedly so. But he's really he really is back in fine form and another contender for those back three which is so competitive at the moment. I suppose going on to the Irish games, the, the team was just announced today and that back three there, Van der Fleer, O'Mahony and Doris, 
so strong. And even looking at that, Will Connors on the bench, CJ Stander isn't isn't there. You know, the strength and depth of the back row, not only on the Irish squad, but in the provinces alone, you know, there's it's it's something for the future. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it allows both the provincial coaches and the national coaches the, the ability to rotate and keep guys fresh and keep it really competitive. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot of that through the Autumn Nations Cup. Absolutely. What do you think? Um, are you excited for the game on, on Friday night? I suppose it's great to have rugby back and great to have, I suppose, a winter of rugby ahead of us. Yeah, certainly. You know, I think Wales are definitely going through a bit of a dip at the moment. I think they've, they've lost their last maybe four or five games in a row. I think we've seen the, their defence coach um, step aside, you know, this week. So you, you'd wonder what's going on, you know, in the, in their camp. Possibly not the most happy place, but their aside, you've got to be very wary of. They're going to be really desperate for a win, and um, I'm sure they're look, looking towards this as you know a time to kind of um, consolidate themselves and, and maybe get a look at some younger players. I'm sure we'll see the likes of Ree Samet come through. Um, two of my friends from Bristol are in the squad, Callum Sheedy and Yoan Lloyd. So I'd, I'd love to see them getting a run. Um, but yeah, look, we know the ability that, that Wales, Wales have. You know, they got to the last four of the World Cup. There definitely is the proven form there and they, they do have quality players. So Ireland will know that they'll have to be on top of it to get a, get a win at the weekend. They will. And I suppose the most notable change or addition to the squad is James Lowe receiving his first cap starting on the wing. So he has come in for Conway and Earls has come onto the bench. So some changes in the back three. Glad to see Stockdale starting at 15. It's difficult for a player, you know, to take the stick that he got last weekend and come back. But I think it's a good platform for him to come and, you know, show what he is made of and show what we have seen of him so far. I think Keenan deservedly so keeps his place on the wing. Both his attack and defence is excellent. And I think James Lowe is just what you need to add to that back back three, you know, his ball carrying, his left peg, whether it's a clearance kick, whether it's a, a grubber kick in behind, you know, he has power pace and I think he will be a huge addition to to the Irish team on Friday night and going forward in the future. Yeah, certainly. I, you know, I I don't think he's his first choice on the left wing yet. Like, you know, I think he he's definitely still has a lot of work to do to pass out some of the guys that are there, the likes of Conway, even if, if Stockdale moved back to the wing, if you know someone else played fifteen. Um but there's no doubt he offers something different. You know, he's he's a ferocious ball carrier. Um we've spoken about his left foot. Um so no, look, it'll be really interesting to see if he can carry across, you know, the great form that he's he's had for Leinster over the last few seasons and see if he can produce it on the international stage. And, you know, I'm sure he will. Um, you just chatted there about the the rotation in the 15 position. What, I suppose, what options are there? I suppose Earlsey is more so a winger. Conway has the ability to play 15 with Larmer injured at the moment. You know, who do we think is is next in line for that 15 position if if Larmer, if um, Stockdale doesn't actually end up staying there and heading back onto that left wing? Yeah, I'm sure Hugh, Hugo Keenan would, would enjoy a go there as well. It's hard to kind of, you know, so say the, the thought process there, you know, he's only really broken onto the scene in the last kind of 18 months, you know, playing for Leinster in the Cup and, and playing knockout games there, getting his first few caps for Ireland. So um, I think that's no harm for him, but I'm sure deep down he's he's probably looking at that going I'd love to have a go back there myself and um, if he keeps playing as well as he is in the wing I'm sure he will get a go there at some stage um, as you said Conway's you know he's a player who's worked a lot in his kicking game um, he's one of the best players we have in the air so he can definitely do a job at, at fullback and um, I don't know if, if Robbie Henshaw still has you know aspirations of playing at the back as well it's, it's incredibly competitive in the centres now with you know Farrell Gary when he's back fit, um, Stu McCluskey, you know, if, if you're talking about getting your best players on the field, would you consider having a look at Robbie at the back? You know, he, he certainly has has all the attributes of, of a really good 15. So um, the great, the, you know, the great news is there's good options there across the board, you know, um, in the backs and, you know, they're, they're giving the coaches tough decisions to make. So I suppose the positive is that there is lots of upcoming games this weekend and really looking forward to seeing the Irish boys playing on Friday night and in the coming weeks. But unfortunately, World Rugby have announced today that the women's World Cup qualifiers have been postponed until next year and also that our final Six Nations game along with the other two Six Nations games have been postponed. Obviously, England are the clear winners in the Six Nations, so the Six Nations, I think that was to be expected. Um, but disappointing, I suppose, that World Rugby have announced the 
postponement again. We were due to have three games played in, in December, which unfortunately aren't going ahead right now. Yeah, I saw that. It's very disappointing. Um, I suppose, what will that mean for you now? Like, will you guys still be able to, to go to camp or, you know, is it is it you just dis- disperse until the new year or will you be able to train away? So, unfortunately, I have a Bronco test to do in about an hour's time. Oh, no. So we are training. I'm glad to be training. Still very happy to be training. However, training goes on as normal. We have Bronco tests. Um, so the this Tuesday just uh, doesn't get any better with uh, with news. So uh, ah, look, you know, it's it's great to still be training and that we still have camps ahead. You know, we still have a Six Nations to plan for this time last year. We still would have been training away. We had won November International last year. So I suppose similar to last year's schedule, we played two games. And then we just trained all through all through Christmas. So it's not they're not cancelled. We still have to try and qualify for the World Cup next uh, summer or next September and October in New Zealand. Um, so we're due to play Italy, Scotland and the winners of, of Russia and Spain who are yet to be played. So I suppose just with the scheduling and just with everything, there isn't a chance for all those games to be played. So I suppose the, the, it has come early. The announcement has come early, I suppose, as such, you know, they were due to happen. Um, in about six weeks time, four weeks time, actually. Um, so disappointing that we don't get any test games. You know, it's been a long year. It's been a long year without rugby. It's been a long year training, but I suppose it'll make us all the more excited um, to play that Six Nations next year. Yeah, for sure. I, I I do find it hard when you don't have a specific kind of fixture list and games to aim at to, to prepare. You know, you kind of need that focus for your training. Um but at the same time, it gives you, you know, other, other areas that you can work on pushing harder and, you know, in the gym or even as, as I'm sure the coaches are thinking, right, what, what changes that can we make to catch up with the likes of France and England? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I know we never got to play that French game, but, you know, we had a great performance against Italy and we had a good Six Nations. So we're constantly building and constantly getting better. And it's not just the men, you know, that are thriving and striving for better. You know, we are the same and, We'll be hoping for a better Six Nations next year. And we will use this time to work on our our weaknesses. And I suppose it starts tonight with that Bronco and setting the standards so that you know where you're at and, you know, where your fitness is at and where you're at as a squad. And so that you can, your SNC can take a look at it and they can see, you know, where do you need to get to and where do we need to get to as a team to be up with the best in the world against England, against France and the likes that will prepare us for that World Cup, hopefully in, in September and October, if we do end up qualifying. So... Right, that's great stuff. And that's going to be the end of part one. So in part two, we will have Shane Williams coming up. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. So a very warm House of Rugby welcome here to Shane Williams on our show today. Shane, every week we ask our listeners and our followers on social media platforms to ask a question or do they have any best memories of our special guest? And Andrew O'Brien on our Instagram page, he asked about the longevity of wingers compared to 10 years ago, now compared to 10 years ago. And for that question, the latest inductee to our Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame is Andrew O'Brien. Well done, Andrew. What are your thoughts on on that first question from Andrew O'Brien? Yeah, I think it's it's not a bad position to play in, really. If if you want a longevity in your in your rugby career, as a, as opposed to a a front rower or a back rower, um, I think you've got more chance of of playing uh, or, or staying fit then for a longer period of time. Um, I see myself quite lucky, really, in my rugby career. I, I did have a few niggly injuries over the years. Not too major, uh, major an injury, I suppose, compared to what some of the lads have had. But I think this day and age, you know, the, uh, I don't know how long I'd have lasted this day and age, really. You know, five foot six, 76 kilograms soaking wet compared to the likes of, you know, Semi Radradra. Um, and you, you, you look at uh, Caleb Clark and these guys now that are 17, 18 stone. So, um, yeah, back in the day, I was very lucky. You know, I, I was one of these guys that if I was hit hard, I usually bounced off the player and, and got back on my feet and carried on. But some of the impacts you see in this day and age, you know, with the size of the wingers, you know, I wouldn't have lasted five seconds, I don't think, in this day and age. So um, I think I played at the right... What I'm trying to say is I think I played at the right time. You know, you look at the likes of uh, Cheslin Colby and, 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 and players of that stature now, 
you know, they have got to be very, very tough because they're batting, you know, they're, they're batting above their average week in, week out. And it is very tough. But, you know, like I said at the start, it's probably the best position to play in if you want to keep playing for a while. Um, so, I, you know, I'm very lucky in that respect. I was never going to play in the front row, let's be honest, or the back row. So um, I think I played in the right position in the end. For me, like in the last 10 years, we've seen the game... Yeah, there was obviously a massive influence on bulk and bigger players. Um, but I think it's actually come full circle now. And I think teams are beginning to find a balance between having, you know, strong ball carriers, but also having the balance of having good ball players and agile players. You know, you can see that with mm-hmm. the likes of Damien McKenzie with, with the All Blacks. And even for us in, in Ulster, Mike Larry's, you know, probably only about 75 kilos. And he's kind of playing that second yeah. distributor role and, and, you know, a really hard guy to tackle. Yeah, I, I think um, I think as well. It's yeah, that, and and you've got to look at the you know the tackle laws and everything now as well. And sometimes I'm thinking, you know, I'm watching a game and I'm seeing high tackles going in there, and the guys are still ducking down to go for the tackle. If you know what I mean, and I'm thinking, God, if I if I was playing now, every time anyone tackled me, they probably would have high tackled me every time because you know it's such a low centre of gravity, like say Lowry and. And like of Ches and Kobe and these guys, Mackenzie, yeah. who just have a go. They're so low to the ground. They're so strong, you know, and and powerful as well that some of these guys have a field day and defenders are petrified of them, which is great, you know, because yeah. otherwise, if you just run in head on into these defences all day long, the defences are just going to absolutely own you. And I think, um, you know, I think you're seeing a lot more now as well of even big bigger forwards, back rows especially, they're using footwork and looking for shoulders rather than running head on and trying to take on defenders that way because you know it's it's an arm wrestle you do that all day long and it's uh, and it's going to take its toll on your body i mean i'm talking about players you know some of the best in the world Adi Severe, who's one of the most ferocious ball carriers in world rugby but the feet on him is just incredible and he has a go takes them on the outside and i think yeah. that's probably going to save him about two or three years in his in his in his rugby career you know through injuries i think and i think the you know, the, 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 the world of rugby is changing slightly for the better. Shane, we had Nigel Owens on last week and we, we discussed a few of the different law changes that, you know, you might look to see. Well, I suppose you have a, a connection with concussion and your, your documentary that you recently um, came out on BBC you chatted about the concussion and the impact of concussion, concussion as a player. And I suppose both myself and Ian, I don't think there's many rugby players that have managed to escape a concussion at some stage. But has those law have those law changes in relation to concussion? You know, helped I suppose the longevity of not just wingers but people players in general. Um, and how important are those those law changes for the safety of players and for the longevity of our careers? Mm. I think I think it's it's really important. Um, obviously, I, I wouldn't have done the documentary if I didn't believe in it. and I didn't feel strongly about it. Um, one of the reasons I did it is because I've I've had my bumps over the years. Trust me and. And I, you know, you often worry when your your family members that have suffered from dementia or or other injuries through, um, sorry, other illnesses, etc., through through trauma and, and head injuries. I've also got uh, a young son that plays the game, so I was, you know, uh, more so wanted to know about the impact and and what, and what it can do to your body, really. So I'm so glad I did it. But I think I think you know we are certainly you, you, we see a lot um, a lot of players that are more focused on not tackling high. I know we still do have high tackles, but that is because the law has changed. I don't think the players are, are more malice now and try and injure players. It's just shoulders slipping up and catching players in the face, you know, rather than just hitting them flat out in the head like it it, it used to be. It was no holds bad even even ten years ago probably, you know? And I, I used to bounce around that rugby feel like a bouncy ball. But but now they you know there there is there is more of um, a focus on keeping our players safe. The the breakdown area is is refereed very closely. You know, if a player's off his feet, the whistle goes goes straight away. No one's hitting rucks with their shoulders anymore or their heads. They're not aiming for players in the face or the head either because it's an instant card, uh, red card. So I think we are doing the right thing. You know, HIA's head injury assessments where players have to go off even from the slightest bumps. It doesn't when you watch it on telly and you think, well, why is he going off? That's only a small bump. You don't have to have a big bump on the head to have a concussion. In fact, you don't you don't have to take a massive impact on the head. You can have concussion from whiplash or from being hit in another part of your body. And people don't realise that. But it's so important to make sure that we, we've got our players safe and that they're able to you know pass a HIA and come back on the field sooner rather than later. 
and the protocols of if you have a concussion, you know, being off for a certain amount of weeks is so important as well because, you know, everyone used to say, oh, a concussion is where you have a bang in the head, you feel sick, you throw up, and then you're fine the next day. You're not the fine. The ne- you're not fine the next day. Sorry, this takes weeks and weeks and weeks to get over. And the more we we kind of stress that, and the more science and the more testing we do, the more we're going to find out. Right, okay, we are actually looking after our players and the well-being of those around us. So. I think we're going in the right direction. I know a lot of people moan about the laws and that there's no way that was a red, there's no way that was a yellow, but you've got to put you've got to put laws in or people are just going to, you know, do what they want really. So, uh, I think we're going in the right direction. I think that Yeah, I think that's a really good point on the um on the laws. Like we saw from the Bledisloe Cup there at the weekend, you know, there's no black and white now. If there are both clear red cards, goes to the TMO and the players are sent off. But the, you know that has yeah. a big knock-on effect because um, off the back of that, coaches are now coaching their players, going, "Look, we can't afford to have a red card. The chances are we're probably going to lose the game." So you're then doing yeah. more work on tackle technique, getting the tackle height lower. You know, it has a big knock-on effect in the game. That and we'll see probably in twelve months' time. I know there's been a lot of red cards in the last probably three or four months with this kind of clear directive from referees. But usually the, the way the trend goes in 12 months time, we probably won't see as many high tackles or as many red cards and hopefully not as many concussions. Sorry, Emer, I cut across you there. No, you're fine. What I was just saying was um, in relation to the concussion going back again, like what you said there, Shane, about we have to take the time to actually let your body heal. But I think as players, it's a difficult one because you don't, you don't have crutches. You're not, you know, you can run fine apart from feeling yeah. a little bit off. It's it's difficult to see. And as a player, I think it's difficult to take because you're not visibly injured. And I think as players, yeah. we all are very impatient when it comes to injuries. And I think on concussion quite a bit as well. And but their return to play protocol is super, super important, especially, you know, there's a lot of study done on it and the long term effects of concussions and, you know, dementia. Yeah. And we've seen it not just in rugby, but in American football. And there's quite a lot of documentaries um, about the effects of concussion at the moment. Um, Shane, you are currently you have a different type of training schedule. You seem to be running miles and miles for November. You're running it for a very um, 465 miles, in fact, for the month of November. How different is your training schedule now to when you were a professional rugby player? Yeah, it's probably worse now. Um, yeah, I've uh, obviously during lockdown, it's been a very difficult time for everyone, of course, and um, a lot of the the charities that I um, I'm ambassador for or I support throughout the years of I've, I've struggled as well with funding and getting money in for events and I think there's about three or four events this year that I was meant to do for charity um, that I couldn't do so basically I, I, I was unable to raise those those funds and um, you know I did a bike ride back at the start of lockdown um, did nearly 800 miles there in my garage uh, on my own uh, for the charity which was great raised a bit of money I did virtual London Marathon a couple of weeks back as well for another charity. And during the month of November, um, I stupidly accepted a, a challenge, which, um, not stupidly, obviously, but um, yeah, a challenge that I didn't really didn't know if I was going to be able to complete. And, and that was basically running a mile on day one, uh, two miles on day two, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to the end of, of, of this month. And I think it equates to about 465 miles. Um, you know, so I'm on mile, I'm trying to think what I did today. I can't remember what day it is. Day, uh, day 12. So I've done 12 miles today uh, and I've, I'm over 70 miles so far in that 12 days. So it's it's completely out of my comfort zone because, you know, when I was playing rugby, I was a sprinter. I didn't have to run over 40 metres um, and very rarely had to run over 40 metres in a game. So this is tough. You know, I'm, uh, I got my compression tights on, on my, on my calves at the moment. But, uh, my legs. Uh, and I don't think I even did that when I was playing. So, you know, I am in bits at the moment. I got toenails falling off. And the problem is I've, I've got nearly 400 miles to go this month. So, um, I probably bitten off more than I can chew, but I'll give it a good go. You know, it's, it's for charities for Valindra Cancer Center. And, um, and hopefully we can raise some, a lot of money for, for a great cause. Shane, you're a good man for taking on these random challenges. Um, you took part in the GA's toughest trade a few years back, and I don't think <laughs> yeah. there actually could have been worse weather for you to take part in. Um, I remember seeing a video of you bounce the ball, and it bounced about four times before it came back up to your hand. And 
I was like, mm. did nobody tell him that you're never supposed to bounce the ball when the weather is bad? You know, the little tricks that we, that we, look, that <laughs> yeah. we all know as, as GA players. Yeah, it, it was a crash course in uh, GA, I think. Um, you know, I obviously never, never played the sport, knew very little about it. I know how big a sport it is in, in Ireland. And, um, you know, when I was asked to do it, I was, I was really excited about it because I thought, right, okay, so do something that, you know, again, out of my comfort zone, I've never played the game, but I've played a bit of soccer. I've obviously played rugby. This, how difficult can this be, you know? And I turned up to, to Glenn Swilly and down in Donegal there. And <laughs> I, I thought Wales, Wales has bad weather. Uh, it was just ridiculous. I was free. I've never been so cold in all my life. Um, but it was a great experience. You know, the, the, the people were lovely in the town there. They really took me in. And I spent a week there training with them. And, and um, we had an evening of a, a talent show there as well. So I went there had a few beers with the lads. And, and it was great. And uh, I remember match day. I, I got up in the morning. I thought, actually, it's, it's quite a nice day today. You know, this... Uh, you know the weather's been kind, and we've got a game, so this this will be lovely. So we travelled to the game, and it was a uh, obviously a local derby and it was a friendly match. And I went into the changing rooms, and the, the weather was lovely. Honestly, it was absolutely lovely. It was late at night though, but it was it was fresh, it was crisp, it was great. I, I opened the doors to come out for the for the game, and it was snowing sideways. <laughs> I've never experienced anything like it in my life. I could we couldn't even see the pitch um, because of the snow. And um, it was just the most crazy experience I've ever had in my life. I didn't know where I was really meant to be. I was running around like a blue ass fly. Um, <laughs> the guy next to me was just having a field day because I was doing all this running. He was staying in the same spot. And every time I was getting the ball, I was catching it and competing against him. And he was just barging me all over this pitch. And I was like, <laughs> Jesus, this I have I, I probably never covered so much field in all my life. But... It was great. You know, they, we had a lovely crowd come out and watch us. Well, try and watch us. They couldn't see the game because it was honestly a whitewash. <laughs> I've seen nothing like it in my life. Um, you know, had a couple of points there, scored a couple of goals and, and whatnot. And um, I loved it. It was great, you know. But uh, will I be going back to, back to Glen Swilly to play? I doubt it, ever. <laughs> but they were lovely. That's a great experience, a really good experience. Um, I suppose you might as well get onto the rugby side of things. Um, you've been... On three lines tests, a great achievement. Um, I suppose at the upcoming lines test next year, what, who are you hoping to see there? What players have impressed you so far this season that you would hope to be on that British and Irish Lions tour? Yeah, um, it, it's open, isn't it? You know, um, there's, there's certainly a lot of players that are playing at the moment that are playing with form. The the thing about rugby and and a Lions tour is that you know you could. Uh, on the weekend now, we could see the likes of James Lowe just light it up against Wales, score a hat-trick and, and you know, be the next best thing. Um, you know, we've got Stockdale starting to play well as well, who I'm a big fan of at 15, which which makes, you know, gives another option there. Hoggy, Stuart Hogg, I'm a big fan of Hoggy, but he's never played in a test as well. That's the, um, that's the power of the Lions. You know, it doesn't really matter how you play well this weekend. The Lions tour isn't until next summer and um, well, hopefully it's it's next summer. So I think we see a lot of chop and change over the years now, bef- uh, over the year until till the um, the, uh, the tour come, comes along. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, we've, we've got a lot of strong contenders for this, for this tour. We're playing the world champions, um, you know, British and Irish Isles. We've, we've got, we've got some fantastic talent coming through. Um, it's not going, looking not looking particularly well for Wales at the moment. However, hopefully, you know, in in twelve months' time, there'll be a change of fortunes, and we can see some really good players coming through. Uh, Lewis Rees-Samit for um, for Gloucester and Wales is is one I want to see get involved a lot more in this Welsh team, especially now that it's not going particularly well. It's almost a throw with a dice, get him in there, see what he's got. Kind of kind of attitude I think they need. Um, yeah, certainly he's and, yeah, one of those players with that kind yeah. of raw pace. You know, he's just he's got that X factor. We've seen we've seen glimpses of it with Gloucester, and you know, I don't think there's any reason why you wouldn't be able to see it on the on the international stage. No, not at all. And and I did um did a podcast about a month ago, and and he came on, and I obviously knew a lot about him, and uh, I, I'd watched a couple of, a couple of games in the Premiership, but. You know, I liked his attitude as well. He, you know, he was in the Six Nations squad, didn't play a second of rugby. For a young man, you could very easily have, you know, lost patience, to- thrown your toys out the pram and thought, well, 
you know, I should be playing. He wasn't, you know, he was very patient. He said, look, when I get my chance, I'll take my chance and I'll show everyone what I can do. And I, I really loved that about him. You know, Lewis could have easily have kind of thrown his toys out the pram and thought, well, you know, I should have been playing, but he didn't. And he's waited for his opportunity. He's had a, he's had a few minutes on the field there that, um, that everyone in Wales has, has wanted, but you know, he deserves a chance now to start, I think. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him play for Wales and then, who knows next year? You know, there could be a lot of players we haven't even heard of yet that could be in that team. Yeah, so Wales seem to be a team in transition. And I actually, as a player, I don't like that that phrase, but they are. There's a lot of changes. You know, there were Grand Slam winners in 2019 um, and a very poor season on their own standards this year. Um, their defence coach, Byron Hayward, has just left this this week. You know, it's not a great start going into... I know they're not official test games, but, you know, every game is a game and they're still important and you still want to win and have a good performance at the weekend. But it's not an ideal situation, I suppose, coming into these games. No, it's, it's an awful situation, isn't it? You know, uh, they're on a losing streak as well, which which puts um, stress on the coaches and the players. Um, and yeah, but, you know, obviously uh, Sam Warburton had left at the start as well of, of, of the, the autumn games and... Um, you know, it's just not a happy camp, isn't it? And and you feel for Byron Hayward because he is a good coach. He he did the business with the Scarlet. Um, you know, he, he's a he's a very proud guy, and he probably took the performances and the results very personal as well. So, and that's probably why he's he's walked. And um, you know, you've got to feel for him on that side. But what it, that does do, it kind of um, it it kind of leaves a bitter taste in in the atmosphere. Certainly, you can feel it in Wales at the moment because. You know, it's, it's who do we look to now to, to change things and who we should be looking at to change things is the team. And uh, I was there to, to see them play in Llanelli against Scotland and it was just so uncharacteristic of, of Wales, the way they played. They were dominated by Scotland in the breakdown. Um, you know, their kicking game was quite poor. The kick-chase game was poor. They didn't have much direction behind the scrums and the line-outs and the, and, and, um, the breakdowns as well. And, you know, I, from kick-off, I just couldn't see Wales winning that game. And I've I probably never never said that about Wales versus Scotland before. So, yeah, they're in, they're they're in a sticky situation at the moment. But only only the players can get them out of it. And um, I'm hoping that you know uh, this can spur them on. It can kind of kickstart them again or give them a kick up the backside, which is what what they need at the moment. And and they can prove a lot of people wrong because you know it's, it's it's always difficult when you're on a losing streak like this that um you you get stuck in a rut and i just hope that's not the case because we we got a lot of important rugby coming up yeah i think for me uh shane like obviously when players are coming in from the welsh regions and you know they're buzzing after you know beating one of the irish provinces or beating one of the scottish teams or italian teams it definitely helps you know if you've got you know guys coming in from the Scarlets, the Ospreys, Cardiff, all having won games. That kind of creates a buzz itself within camp. Um, obviously, yeah. you're part of the, the Ospreys team that won won the league in 2010 and you scored a fantastic try to break Leinster's hearts in, in 2012. Um, and then we saw, obviously, Scarlets won the league in, in 2017. You know, what do you think the WRU needs to do to get the, the Welsh unions kind of, with the Welsh teams backfiring and, you know, really competing in the, the Guinness Pro 14? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And and like you said, you, you mentioned, you know, when you when teams are doing well in, in uh, international, they go back to their clubs. It normally spurs the clubs on. And happened to, to us, uh, Ospreys in 2008, where uh, we won the Grand Slam with Wales. We went back and played. Uh, we, we played, we had 14 players in, in uh, you know, the starting team there from the Ospreys. We went back and, and played for your club then was easy because, you know, it wasn't the intensity of of the internationals, and we've done really well. But um, yeah, it, it, it's a it's a difficult one. I think we, we always. I think now we are comparing ourselves to you know the Irish uh, provinces and the regions. And you look at Leinster, for example. It, it just seemed to be just pulling these boys off the conveyor belt, the Burn, uh, the Burn brothers, and and whomever it is. They just seem to be coming off with such talent and and making it easier for the club. At the at the moment, I think it's strength and depth is the problem in the regions. You know, um, you look at the Ospreys. As soon as they lose the likes of Alwyn Jones, Webb, and Tipperick, it is an uphill struggle. You know, I, I'm not sure if we have, um, you know, the comfort and and the players coming through that that the Irish provinces do. For example, um, we certainly don't have the talent pool 
of of boys that could come in and, and play for the region and then just get called up into the national team, which happens a lot in Ireland. So that says a lot about the quality of the players you guys are bringing through there. We don't have that. And um, I certainly w- witnessed it um, on the weekend. I did the Ospreys against Leinster. A lot of new faces in that Leinster team. Uh, you know, you had Harry Byrne starting at 10, Ross's brother. And you're thinking, well, no one's really seen this guy play. Let's see what he's got. And all of a sudden you're thinking... Jesus, this just isn't fair. You know, they're rolling these guys off, and they, they could they could all very easily be in the national team. It's it, it's frightening. But when you compare it to what Ospreys had then as well, and I don't mean it disrespectful to them, there was a lot of players there that were thrown in in at the deep end, and you, I don't know if you can do that against a team like Leinster. So um, there's definitely a massive void there at the moment. There certainly needs to be something sorted in the recruitment of players and how the academies are, are working and and how they look at. Um, introducing them into the, into the you know the regional side, so uh, a lot of work to do. And then, especially when your your national team isn't doing particularly well as well, it's it 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 is very difficult. And people are pointing fingers. So a lot of work. I don't think just throwing money at at, at a club or regions is is always the answer. Um, but it, it's just you know running your business clever as well. And I think again, what the likes of um, uh, Munster and Ulster and, and Leinster and Connacht do is they invest very well in the players that they bring in. You know, James Lowe, um, for example, was a was a player I knew a little bit about because you know I'd, I'd seen him for the Chiefs and uh, and the Maoris. But then he comes into the Leinster team and and he's just a revelation. He's a breath of fresh air. He plays a lot of rugby for them. Next thing you know, he's in the national team. And you look at players that Leinster have had over the years: Conton Poe, uh, Pony, sorry, Nasewa, Brad Thorne, these guys, Rocky Elson, yeah. etc. They just fit in and do the business and the players learn around them. And we did that at a time for Ospreys when we had the likes of Justin Marshall, Marty Haller, Tommy Bow was over there as well working with the youngsters. We just don't seem to have that at the moment and uh, uh, and we're getting left behind by the other promises. Yeah, just like obviously important to be bringing through your own players, but also I think as well, holding on to the talent that you have. You know, if you had the likes of yeah. uh, Dan Bigger playing for back playing with the Ospreys or even, you know, Callum Sheedy, Owen Lloyd have both been called up to the, the Welsh squad, but they're playing with Bristol, Reece Samet with Gloucester, yeah. you know, they're, you know, four or five guys there. That if, you, if you have them filtering back into those Welsh regions, they're, you know, probably 10, 15% better with even, you know, just that kind of premium quality of player. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's what the regions are trying to do, I think. And then, you know, when you get those players back and you got likes of Sheedy oh. and, Resummit ripping it up for the clubs, then you know you get bums on seats, don't you? That's exactly it, I think. But there's a flip side to that as well. You look at the the Gallagher Premiership and the quality of rugby that gets played there. It probably made the likes of Sheedy and um, and Resummit uh, how they how they've been playing this year. You know they've been playing competitive rugby uh, for the last two seasons. Likes of Sheedy winning the uh, you know uh, ch- uh, Challenge Cup, sorry with 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 Bruce, uh, playing with Bristol and Rhys Ahmed doing really well with Gloucester, and that gives you confidence. And then you bring that to the national team. Whereas, yeah. you know, would they have been that confident if if the region would have got them back into the country, kind of thing? And and Dan Bigger as well. Dan Bigger is playing his rugby in Gloucester, and, uh, sorry, in, in Northampton, sorry, and um, he's absolutely loving his time up there. So. It is a tough one, of course. As a as a as a uh, ex player and as someone who's following the regions now, we want all our talent back in Wales because we want to watch them ourselves and we want, um, you know, to bring the crowds back to these regions as well because you know that's another quite sour point that uh, you know you're getting about eleven hundred people. Well, you're not getting any at the moment, but you're getting eleven hundred people normally to come to the Liberty Stadium to watch their team play and. You know, you can you you can get twenty odd thousand in there, so it's it, it is hard. We we're in a bit of a mess at the moment, certainly, and um, regional and and uh, and as a country at the moment. I suppose the good thing, Shane, is that these autumn nation games give all these teams, and especially Wales, an opportunity to to prove themselves or to to get better. And even Ireland themselves, Johnny spoke during the week about how he's just looking for improvement and a better performance on on I suppose their their English performance in Twickenham and their game against France last weekend. Shane, thank you so much for your rugby insight. However, we have one more thing for you. Um, we have a game here on the show called Taller, Shorter, Bigger, Smaller. It's a pretty simple game to play. We will show you two rugby players and then we will ask you which one is taller and which one is shorter. So that's their height. And then we will ask you which one is bigger and which one is smaller. So that's based on their weight. 
Shane, we okay. will give you an example here to ease you into it. The first one is <laughs> going to come up on your screen here. And we want to know uh, who is bigger and who is smaller. So your images here is between Shane Williams and Ryan Jones. So it's yourself and your old Wales teammate, Ryan Jones. As a gentle opener, who is taller and who is shorter? Uh, well, I actually ran with Ryan today. So I, I was reminded uh, that I am much shorter and he is taller. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, Ryan Jones is six foot five, while Shane, you are listed at five foot seven. Is that the correct size? Well, I'm actually five foot six, but I used to say five foot seven on my program, so that's all right. That's okay. I live. I'm happy with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. We'll go we with all that. we all do that, Shane. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So there you go. And now it's going to get a little bit harder. So we're going to keep going, oh. Shane, until you get one wrong. So we'll add up your score at oh, the God. end. So we had Sean Cronin on the first week and he got three. So he's on top of the leaderboard. And we have okay. Nigel Owens last week who only got one. So really, you only have to get two to beat Nigel and hopefully three to beat R- Sean. Cronin. Right. OK. OK. So we have Nigel Owens or we have Steve Walsh. And we want to know which one is Ooh. shorter this time. I I would say... Nigel is shorter. So Steve Walsh is six Ooh. foot two, while Nigel yeah. is five foot ten. So that is two yeah. out of two for you. It's a good start. Yeah, already beating Nigel on the leaderboard here, Shane. There you are. No, Steve so Walsh going... is a blast from the past. Well, there you go. <laughs> so we're going to go international here. Here's South African prop Ox and Shay and French star Jefferson Poirot. Who is bigger and who oh, is God. smaller? Oh my god, they're both massive, aren't they? <laughs> um, I will say Poirot is smaller. So, oh, Ox entry is £251, just under 18 stone. Poirot wow. comes in at £271 and he is definitely bigger. Jeez, oh well. Yeah. So it depends what they're tall they Sunday out. lunch, yeah. isn't it, with them too? Yeah. <laughs> Big so boys. That, you got that one wrong, didn't you? Yeah, so I I beaten Nigel though, that's the main thing. You did. You did. Yeah. You beat Nigel. So you're now second on our leaderboard at the moment. So you can say that to Nigel now the uh next time that you see him. Okay, yeah, cheers to everybody for watching and listening. A big, huge thank you to producer Pat, Paul, Dermot, Ian, Anthony, and everyone that helped getting this show together. And of course, our amazing guest, Jane Williams. This has been House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness Slunkful. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. <laughs>